Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, just before the break, we went to Oilers Now. Trivia brought to you daily by Greta with 20 food trucks, street food items from around the world. Greta Barr, let's play, let's drink, let's eat. It was a tough one. Basically, I was asking you who scored the last goal in the 2012-13. That was the lockout shortened season for the Edmonton Oilers. That was the lone year that Ralph Kruger coached the team. Back of the 630 Chad Studios, here's Brendan Escott. Yeah. Brendan, how many guesses did it take people? Yeah, we were probably up at eight or nine, maybe even ten callers that had all guessed. Niall Yakupov, we had a, a smattering of Taylor Hall guesses, but nobody knew that the answer was Jared Smithson. So who got it? Yeah, it was uh, it was Jeff B in Edmonton. Jeff B. Nice work, Jeff B. There you have it. He gets the uh, $50 uh, player card courtesy of the fine folks at Greta. As we bring aboard from Inside Sports, Reed Wilkins. Reed, was that uh, – were you with me at that point on uh, Oilers Now or had you already moved over? Was that the first year that you were doing um, – the uh, the the pre and uh, post game show and of course inside sports. No, I was I was producing Oilers now, but I, I remember that season quite well, and uh, I, I remember that that trade and and the Oilers had won five in a row, and after they beat Calgary, they were in a playoff spot. Now yes. it was still going to be tough for them to get in they were in the playoffs by one point ahead of st louis i'm just, i just went back to look at the standings because i remember there was uh they played more games than most teams so they, they were one point ahead st ahead of st louis but the blues had two games in hand so it, it was still going to be tough for the Oilers to get in uh but then they only went three and nine in their last 12 games i mean who knows if you could have gone seven four and one or or something like that maybe you're, you're flirting with a playoff spot i mean I know, I know they wound up missing by by more than just a few points but at least they they were hanging around and had a had a chance and jared smithson didn't uh didn't add a whole bunch and they kind of got uh got beat up pretty bad because after they won those five in a row they lost they lost six in a row and they only scored uh eight goals in those six games and three of them were in one game against the Minnesota wild. So they, they quickly dropped right out of it, but that was, that was an exciting little push. It was, it was a shortened season. That was Devin Dubnik's best year as an Edmonton Oiler. And where I really thought he looked like, all right, this guy can be a number one goaltender in the NHL. Uh, I mean, I remember he had uh, an incredible sequence of saves in, in a win in Vancouver with, uh, with Jack had a great call that we were using as a promo for a while. And, that, that five-game winning streak, they, they'd won at home against Columbus. Uh, or sorry, they, they shut out St. Louis in St. Louis. They beat Columbus at home 6-4, which in that era, it seemed like they always beat Columbus in a high-scoring game at home. They shut out Vancouver and then swept the home at home with the Flames. 4-1 and 8-2, outscored them 12-3. And you're thinking, well, maybe. Maybe they got enough to, to pull it off. And then it turned out, like I said, they just got uh, stomped down the stretch, uh, did win their last two games against Minnesota and Vancouver. And I, I think Jared Smith and 
just sort of spun on a rolling puck in the slot and slapped it in against Vancouver. I yep. think it was something like that. And that was the final final goal of the season. They, they wound up 19-22-7. and seven. All right. Uh, should I tell a story? I guess I can tell a story. Statue of limitations is gone, right? So 2013 trade deadline, Steve Tamalini is still a general manager of the team. And uh, a couple of players this this rarely happened, but I was down. So normally, what happens is for a seven thirty game, there'd be a five and five fifteen bus, and uh, or actually back then we had a separate media bus, but uh, and, and the two buses at that time would leave at five fifteen. So sometimes the players would go over early in a cab, and uh, two guys who uh, have subsequently retired uh, basically asked me to hop in the cab with them and. Uh, one of them looked at me and said, Jared Smithson, that's what we've added in the deadline is Jared Smithson. And I go, I take it you're not too happy. And he goes, well, Bob, you know, we're going to have problems beating the heavy teams. We're going to have problems beating Vancouver, San Jose, and L.A. We just don't match up. He goes, but tonight we're going to destroy the Flames. That's what he said to me. And the Oilers won 8-2 in Calgary. Now, Reed, do you recall who Calgary had traded over the span of 72 hours going into the, those two games against uh, with the Oilers. No, I don't remember the Flames trades. I think I think they traded Bomeister and Aginla. So they were going I'm going to have see now I'm going to have to check. Oh, was but that I, the year of the Aaron Ward? Oh, it's done. He's going to Boston or whatever it was. What's that with with Iggy? When when Aaron Ward announced it on TSN and then it was the wrong team. Yeah, uh, twelve thirteen. Uh, yeah, Jay got traded to uh, Jay got traded to uh, the St. Louis Blues, and in terms of, and again, got traded to Boston. So it was right around the time that the Oilers had played the back to back, and I just remember the mood, the mood in Calgary as that game wore on, and Edmonton lit the Flames up eight to two. Like it was like you could see one team was in theory on the rise, and the Flames were in the process of kind of dismantling what they kind of had. Now, the game, the last game of the year against Vancouver, because you were in the building for that one, Yakupov scored a goal read, and he did one of his goofy celebrations that he used to do. Do you remember who from Vancouver made fun of Yakupov after he scored to tie the game at 2 It was actually pretty funny. Well, I, I don't remember it, but I'm guessing it must have been Cassian. No, it was Sestito. But Cassian, oh, okay. Cassian was on the night. Uh, I think they dressed Henrik, but he played like a one shift. They started Luongo. Geez, that might have even been. Now I'm going to have to check to see if that was Lou's last start in the regular season in Van, uh, for for Vancouver. But uh, anyways, it was it was a two two game at the start of the third period, as you know, and the Oilers ended up winning seven to two. So Jared Smithson scored the last goal in the twelve thirteen season. I mean, that's uh, that's right. That's got to be right up there. Uh, actually, Luongo played 42 games the next year for Vancouver before being moved to Florida. Hey, Reed, did yes. you? Uh, you b- before we did the, uh, you were asking me golf trivia on Thursday. Did I not take Dustin to win the tournament Thursday night? Well, number one in the world, so you know, per- <laughs> way to play the favorite. <laughs> Though uh, the way DeChambeau was was playing, he he was my pick, but he he says he said he wasn't wasn't feeling well. He made some pretty sloppy shots along the way. Actually, Bernard Longer at the age of sixty three, uh, I think, uh, beat DeChambeau by a stroke. I was happy to see Johnson win, and this this is a, a decade of Dustin Johnson being a contender in, in major tournaments. Um, I, I watched, yeah, between 2010, he was, 
He was a contender at the U.S. Open going to the weekend. And the, the, the interesting thing about Dustin Johnson is he'll he's in the process of building a career that I think is going to be remembered for a long time. And the circumstances around some of his big moments are also going to be remembered for a long time because he's been involved in some strange ones. In 2010, remember, he would have been in a playoff with Bubba Watson and Martin Keimer. This was at Whistling Straits, which is the big Lynx-style course in, in Wisconsin. And he was given a penalty for grounding his club in a bunker, hitting an approach shot on the 18th hole. And that's that course where you couldn't really tell the bunkers from just dirty areas. But players were warned going into the, into the tournament, anything that you think might be a bunker, treat it as a bunker. Because he'd, he'd hit, in his, he's hit his drive into the rough where it was really trampled down by, by spectators. And he thought this can't possibly be a bunker. And he grounded his club, got a, got a penalty and kept them out of the playoff. The, the U.S. Open at um, at Chambers Bay near Seattle. He had a makeable putt to win it. He had a very makeable putt to get into a playoff with Jordan Spieth, and that would have been an 18-hole playoff on Monday. The U.S. Open now has a two-hole playoff, uh, and he missed it, and then he wound up settling for second place. He three-putted for par on a par five. And the, don't forget, guys, in 2016, when he won the U.S. Open, he played two-thirds of the final round not knowing what his score was because this was the one where he was addressing his ball to putt on five and he, he stepped away from it and he said, look, I think the ball moved slightly, but he was saying, you know, I didn't put my club behind it. And he, and he talked to a rules official and the rules official said, well, okay, carry on. And then he played most of the round, not knowing whether or not he was going to be penalized um, so that was another memorable one. And then, of course, w- this year with 2020, just the fact that the Masters were played in November w- with COVID going on, with no spectators in a course that's known for the roars and all the the, the loud cheers, especially on the back nine uh, on a Sunday, and that, that he shoots minus 20, which is the lowest score uh, ever at the Masters, which also, as a side note, makes me wonder what the, the people at Augusta are going to do when the tournament's coming up in April. I don't think they're going to want to score that low again. But he's a great player. There have been a lot of odd, odd circumstances surrounding uh, many of his wins. And, I mean, he's 36, which in, in golf terms, guys are in good shape now. I mean, I think for another 10 to 15 years, he's going to be another contender in the big ones. Well, he's obviously a great athlete. Uh, you know, we've had the privilege of having Wayne Gretzky, uh, who has been in an alternate governor role at times for the Oilers organization, been around a bit. And I know that uh, Wayne's educated me on just how spectacular of an athlete this guy really is. Uh, there's no question about it, and that athleticism comes across. Did you read the piece in ESPN yesterday about it, by the way? Where they talked about sort of the maturation of his game and how he and his brother used to be called dumb and dumber and, and how it's it's a total misnomer now because he's far more astute than people actually give him credit for and really sharp. I just... Like, the thing that I like watching him is just how calm he seems out there and how he doesn't, you know, because sometimes I think, and maybe the listeners can correct me if they disagree, but there appears to be some golf, like Patrick Reed, uh, he apparently has a bit of a different personality. DeChambeau, obviously, because of the analytics that he deploys and the weight that he gained and, you know, maybe not focus on playing it on the, the fairway and stuff, Reed. There, there's some different perspectives as to even Tiger Woods. There's always been, Tiger could always be a little bit feisty at times, you know? It wasn't always, but I have, I've always gotten the sense that uh, there was a realization that Johnson was 
a very special athlete, a special player, but some people thought he was too laid back and not intense enough. And I'm wondering if that starts to change now that he's won a second major. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think maybe earlier in his career, you, you, you did see signs of him cracking under pressure a little bit. I, I mean, I referenced some of the other tournaments and, and there were other other majors he had a leader was near the lead going into the weekend and wasn't able to finish. But, but I think you saw, I mean, really Bob, he won this tournament in the first five holes on Saturday. It, the leaderboard was jumbled. There were what five guys tied for the lead. I think four guys a stroke back and he went out there and he, uh, he's, what did he start par Eagle birdie, birdie par, something like that. And all of a sudden everybody's chasing him and he, and he just never was going to give it back. And, there was that slight possible blip yesterday on number two where he, he kind of chunked a shot a little bit uh, on a short pitch and it wound up in the bunker in front of the green. Probably there was some mud under the ball and, and maybe the turf was a little softer than he thought, but he got up and down from there and, and then a couple birdies on the front nine. He never really looked back. But I, but I think in golf generally <laughs> and look i have i haven't played it at anywhere near a high level and i'm sure most of the listeners understand this though generally it helps to be calm and i think if you're out there battling with a couple other of the elites in the world on sunday at a major if uh if you see another guy showing frustration or losing his mind a little bit you're starting to think i got the advantage even if we're tied i got the advantage because i'm going to keep it under control and things are starting to get under this guy's skin but you're right about patrick reed i I mean with patrick reed i think it's some other things there's been some you know the stories about he and his wife shutting his parents out of his life and the parents don't really understand why um you know obviously uh, he was accused of stealing from teammates while he was in the ncaa and DeChambeau, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see where it goes with him, Bob. Clearly, it helped him for this year. Will he continue to be a contender next year? And will people start following what he's doing? And not just, yes, the analytics things, but putting on the muscle, using clubs with the huge grips and, and that are all the same length. Is that the next trend of golf, or is that going to be a DeChambeau thing that's kind of a one-and-done for a summer or two? Yeah, interesting stuff. Very quickly, and I won't get you to answer this, read, but Gaspi says, Bob, how much of an influence do you think Wayne Gretzky's been on DJ? Uh, I would tell you right now, I know this about Wayne. He would never take any credit for anything that Dustin Johnson's accomplished. It's just the way Wayne is. I'm sure they've had some conversations, but I, Wayne just doesn't do that. All right, we had uh, Dave Tippett on the show, Reed. He talked about... You know, he liked the work that Kenny had done. Uh, it's clear he, that the owners have greater depth at forward. He also talked about the different type of defense that Edmonton can have and specifically mentioned, obviously, the addition of Barry, but also maybe where Jones can go. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, we've talked about Barry a lot. I, I like that that signing for a lot of reasons. And, and as I've said numerous times, I, I think it has the potential to make the power play even better. I, I am that optimistic about it. And, and Tippett said it right. What's the best way to defend is not to have the puck in your own end. It, it's the same reason why uh, football teams want to win time of possession. If you're on offense more, defense less, it's going to give you greater opportunities to score. Caleb Jones came on. He he does a lot of things quietly, but uh, I, I know you quoted the the shot differential. What was that? Was it a playoff game? It was something like 18-3 when he was on the ice? For 20 to- the regular. Uh, I forget who was the. There was one. Part. It was yeah. Like he had, yeah, he had he had ridiculous. He had very good shot metrics in the series against Chicago. Uh, he and I believe it was Keith Olley 
was it Ollie? One game in no, no, I'm not sure who it was. Uh, but anyways, a couple years ago in Van, about three years ago in Vancouver, they outshot the opposition twenty to one when they were on the ice. Yeah, you know, you know like it's pretty impressive. I, but I, I think look here. Here's the thing, and I'm going to put Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear in the same bucket. And I, and if you want, if I can blend in a forward as well, we'll throw Yamamoto in there as well. How do they do in the second season? I mean, I consider this obviously Bear played the full season. Jones and Yamamoto to me were there enough, and were also there in the postseason. That now you kind of consider this a sophomore season. Do they do they take a step forward? Do they keep growing? Or do they do they run into that area where some other second-year players do at times, where uh, they find it hard to take that next step? Now the opposition has a chance to know what they're like, and and then they have to go through a further adjustment period. But but I but I, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about Baron Jones, and maybe with Jones, I mean, don't forget, Jones was uh, what was he drafted about seven or eight slots higher? I know it was really close, Bob. Yeah, one seventeen. Yeah, one seventeen to one twenty-five. And, and but two years was, ago at this time, you. Would have said Jones was the better prospect. It was Kevin Gravel, by the way, who was his defense partner in that game against Vancouver, not Keith Ollie. But they went like twenty to one shots for and against at even strength. Crazy. Yeah. Hey, one. So, so yeah. go ahead. I was going to say one final one for you here, just in the final six minutes of the show. Reed Wilkins joining us from Inside Sports. What is it that like everybody's entitled to have their own opinion, but the NHL Network ranked their top centers yesterday, and uh, McDavid was number one, and Drysaddle was number three. They had, uh, uh, you know, Nathan McKinnon, number two. Crosby was fourth. We had a couple individuals out there. You know, McDavid's not even in the top five centers in the NHL. This is a guy who four years running has been top two in the NHL in scoring. What's your take on that? Like, why do guys do stuff like that? And, again, everybody, it's go, go for it. Over analysis, Bob. And this is, and, and you, I, you know, I did that love letter a few weeks ago when to the two people who didn't put Drysaddle in their top five for the Hart Trophy voting. I, so I didn't I'll, hear your love letter. I'll, I'll bundle all this in together, but it's it's over analysis. And look, if if somebody wants to tell me they voted for Nathan McKinnon to win the Hart Trophy first place, fine, he's an awesome player. You know, even in Hellebuck, you, you could make an argument. Like, but to not have Dreisaitl in the top five in your Hart Trophy voting to the two people who did it, it is indefensible. And it is over-analysis. And there are a lot of analytics and the new stats that have come in that are extremely valuable and extremely revealing. But if you talk to anybody around the NHL, whether it's a coach, a player, a former player, they will tell you the hardest thing to do in the National Hockey League is produce points night after night after night. What does Rob Brown say? It's painful to score goals in the NHL. And and that's, to me, the, the sad part about what some people in the analytics communities have, have done. They've taken it so far that now, all of a sudden, they have devalued scoring goals and getting assists, which really is uh, the best way to win a game is to just go out there and get a ton of goals. I know defense is important. I know checking is, is important. But there's a reason the highest paid players in the league are always offensive players because it is the hardest thing to do. So I just think when you see Drysaddle McDavid uh, excluded from votes or or ranked much lower than you, and not, look, I'm not being a, a total homer here where they got to be one two all the time because I totally respect how many other great players there are in the league who might have uh, you know different dimensions or different strengths, but there's there's nothing like going out there 
and getting points and being able to score, uh, you know, four goals like Leon did or, or rack up points like McDavid did or, or score goals like he did against Morgan Riley in Toronto. So to me, that's, that's the unfortunate part of where some of the analytics have, have taken it. They've devalued some things that are still vitally important to the game. What do you have coming up on Inside Sports Night, Reed? Well, we got uh, Green and Gold Grey Cup Week. We're going to kick it off. Uh, you're going to like this one, Bob. Brian Kelly is on the show tonight. We'll have a few other surprises. How do you do? And, and uh, between 7.38 on the coaches show, Dave and Morley are going to announce the winner of the 6.30 Chet Ultimate Virtual Grey Cup House Party. Uh, howdy doody, right? Brian Kelly, that was his nickname. Brian Kelly, yeah, really good receiver. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. See you. Straight welcomes from Inside Sports, Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned an operator for over 50 years. Royal Pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a list of 13 Edmonton and area locations. Go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Out at Brent Ridge Ford in Wetaskiwin, they are looking for used vehicle inventory. They're down some units. They need some trades. Ford Motor Company will give you a trade-in bonus of up to 2500 for a 2016 model or older. The team at Brent Ridge Ford is keeping you safe. Uh, that's their top priority. They're complying with all AHS safety protocols. So go down and see Uncle Milt Rich Johnny in the game at your Ford Truck Authority on the Auto Mile in Wetaskiwin, that is Brent Ridge Ford. To this day in Oilers history, back in the 630 Chad Studios, the one and only Brendan Escott. On this day in 2001, the Oilers get multi-goal games from Anson Carter and Josh Green as they do away with the Chicago Blackhawks 7-1 on home ice at the Skyreach Center. Mike Comrie, George LaRock, Rem Murray, Jochen Hecht also contributing multi-point efforts. Tommy Salo, the man that turned aside 27 of 28 shots. I think Josh Green just had a birthday. He's a great guy from Camrose. Uh, was a real good uh, junior player and ended up in a situation where he uh, was down on the orders farm system for a number of, yeah today's josh green's birthday how about that he turned 43 today there you go small world uh the stan orders history back in 2001 7 one victory for the orders over the hawks reed wilkins has inside sports night six to eight tomorrow mark specter for the horses and horse racing alberta featuring live standard bread racing on Saturdays and Sundays at Century Mile. Fan access still limited, but you can watch and wager online at hbibet.com. Horse Racing Alberta, employing Albertans, contributing to the economy, and caring for our horses. Coming up, we have a global news weather traffic update with Randy Kilburn, and then during the 6.30 chat afternoons at Lynn Nye today, SpaceX has successfully launched its latest mission, taking four astronauts to the International Space Station. What's life like there? How's that going? How does the training in space inadvertently prepare people for the current pandemic? Jalen Nye, after the 2.30 news, will talk to Canadian astronaut David St. Jacques. So long, everybody, from Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.